excited to be continuing our series on 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, the verses will come up on the screen, but if you want to grab a Bible in front of you and you like holding those in your hand, that is fantastic. You can begin turning to uh, 1 Corinthians 7. And you know, a while back, we kind of mapped out the chapters, and it's kind of exciting that we are having family weekend this weekend. So if you're a parent, uh, welcome, and so much uh, appreciate uh, your love and support of your kids. And uh, when we hope uh, at 1130, we'll be able to see a whole bunch of parents so looking forward to meeting you. And it's interesting that we did the timing of this, that in chapter 7 today, where we're landing, it's on marriage. And uh, one of my favorite topics to talk about, I've been married for 22 years. Our marriage, uh, our, our wedding anniversary is coming up December 4th. Now, last year, I was very sick and unconscious for our honeymoon. So I kind of underperformed last year, for sure. So I'm going to try to make that up to her this year for our 23rd. I'm thinking, something nice like Frisch's Big Boy or something and like really like trying to hit a home run. So if you have any ideas for our anniversary that is coming up, uh, please let me know. So very excited to talk about this topic. It's one of my favorite topics to talk about. I love that I have this chapter and uh, doing premarital counseling and marital counseling over these last 20 years is a joy. I believe that a lot of the difficulties and ills in our world world can sometimes be traced back to family. And having a strong uh, family unit and good marriages uh, is just such a blessing to uh, uh, our culture in, in many, many ways. And we'll talk a little bit about that today. So I also just wanted to take a moment to pray as we get into God's Word, but I also wanted to pray for the people in Florida. I know many of us know lots of people in that area. So as we pray, I just wanted to lift them up and remember them this morning. So let's, uh, let's uh, pray together. Lord, we thank you for this time to be together. God, each time that we come and we sing these songs and we, we open up your word, Lord, it is an opportunity to hear from a holy God through your scriptures that you've written to us. And God, we never want to take that for granted. We always want to be so eager to learn from you the tools the ideas and the thoughts and the passions that you want us to have toward our relationships, toward our marriage, toward our life. Um, but Lord, more importantly, why we're here, Lord, our relationship with you. Would you deepen it today and bring intimacy between us and you, Lord? We thank you that you want to do that. Lord, and we just lift up uh, the people in Florida, Lord. They're just going through so much right now and just dealing with this natural disaster. Would you give them comfort? Would you give them encouragement? Would you give them help? We thank you for all the people and the money that goes down there to help those people. Lord, put it on our hearts how we might be praying for them and how we might help them. And we pray for a quick recovery down there, Lord, as they uh, go through this uh, tragic thing. Lord, we lift all up in Jesus' name. Amen. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where we're landing here today, it's titled, The Instructions to the Unmarried and the Married. So this isn't just going to be a talk about marriage, but specifically Paul, as he's writing to these Corinthians people, and this is rare in the scriptures, he talks to the unmarried people, the single people, divorced people, widowed people. And so uh, as we uh, go into this subject, um, this is really for all of us in whatever season we are in life, God wants us to experience him in deep 
ways. And the big idea for today is that there is a joy and an obligation to serve the Lord in our present situation. Not only is it a joy that you can experience God right now in whatever circumstances, whatever marital status you have, but it's also an obligation. It's a command from God to say, I want you to thrive. I want you to be content in whatever state you are right now. This isn't a message just for single people. It isn't a message just for married people. It is for people that want intimacy with God. There's an opportunity, as, as people say, to bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. We're all planted in this scenario right now. Whatever place you're in, you have an opportunity to bloom, to bear fruit in this very situation. And that is what God wants for each one of us. So in these two parts, he first talks to the single people, and then he talks to the, the married people. And as you know, throughout this series, we've said it a lot, but if you're new or you just need the reminder again, this Corinthian church had tons and tons of dysfunction. They came out of a very pagan situation. They viewed sexuality in a very unhealthy way. Now they've become believers, and they're sending Paul these questions. We're going to see it here in a later verse where he says, Hey, according to the things that you sent to me, or the things as you wrote, I will now give you the answer to that thing. So they're having this, this dialogue, and that's what we're reading. We're reading these responses. And as he's talking to them, he's realizing, and he's understanding, Understanding, there's some really bad dysfunction and there's some bad thoughts about physical intimacy because of what they've come out of and he's trying to help them and correct them. So at first, uh, let's talk about this single part and we're going to skip to some of the later verses. But it says, for those of you that are single. And I know a lot of times in the church, the single people can feel left out. And we'll talk about marriage and we'll talk about family. And those are all very good things. But this point is about how important you are right now in the kingdom of God, even if you never get married or if you're not in that season of life right now. This is a special time. It's a precious time. And Paul says to the single people, like, remain as I am. Paul was not married. Jesus went 33 years on this earth and was never married. Many other biblical heroes in the scriptures were not married. Marriage does not like complete us in this way that makes us more spiritual than other people. So as you sit here today, maybe you're a young single person. You're like, well, I'm not sure if I am going to remain like this the rest of my life. Maybe I'd like to, to be married someday. Maybe you're an older single person. You're like, no, I really love not being married. I, I am content of where I am. There are people here that are widows and there are people that are divorced. And God has a plan for your life. And it's amazing. So let's read at verses 7 and 8. He says, Paul, to the Corinthians, I wish that all of you were as I am. Talking about being single. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift. Another has that. Referring to this gift of singleness or a gift to lead a family. Now, to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. 
Okay, so Paul is responding to them and is like, hey, should we now that we're Christians get married? Um, should we, you know, what, what should we do with this new status of this Christian relationship? And he says, no, if you're in this place right now, find contentment in the Lord of where you are. You can thrive and you can have this relationship with God because it is a gift to be single. He goes on later in the chapter. We're going to skip to verse 17. says this, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. So just as God has called you right now, in this assignment that you have, in this situation, there's this really important time to be content in the Lord. And I've shared with you many times, I did not get married until I was 30 years old. And even though I had some unhealthy relationships in my past, through my 20s, I was really trying to just grow spiritually to mature enough, but I had all kinds of doubts and questions of whether I could even have a good marriage and if that existed. And so I didn't know if marriage would be good And I didn't know if I would be a good husband. And I spent most of my time in the 20s just enjoying the Lord. Kind of in a sense, just me and Jesus being together. It was a sweet time of pursuing God and having this undistracted life where I could, you know, spend as much time with the Lord and be in the Word and do things that I felt like He was calling me to do without checking on, uh, checking in with someone. And that's what Paul is trying to highlight here. This is a gift. This is a blessing. There's something great about being single and undistracted, and you can find contentment in your relationship with God. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, because the people are anxious about their future. They're anxious about clothing and money. And and what if this happens? What, What if this happens? What if I never get married? You know, all these questions that we can have stirring in our minds. And Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. When we see that all these things will be added to you, we think, oh, what does that mean? I'm going to get all the money and, uh, and all the cars and all the, the possibilities and the, and the spouse that I want. No, he's talking about something even beyond that. All the things our heart really desire, all the things that we long for that really matter in life, that, san- that satisfaction that we're looking for, it can all be in God. That's why we seek first his kingdom, his ways this relationship with him, living in righteousness and responding to his voice. That is what our heart really craves. Later on in chapter 7, back to Corinthians chapter 7, we won't go on to the longer passage, but really he just talks about this undivided devotion to the Lord. He said, it's not, now he's going to go into how marriage is a good thing too, But he's also saying like, when you're single, you have an undivided devotion to God. Take advantage of that. That is a wonderful thing. Because when you get married, now you're thinking about your intimacy with God and your intimacy with this spouse. And then the little kids start coming along and all the families here would say, amen. That's a distracted time. That's a hard time. I I don't have time to shower, let alone have uh, time with the Lord. And your time becomes divided. And he's saying this is such a special time to be devoted to God and be devoted to Jesus. And that's why he says, remain on as I do. Now, point two, 
for those that desire marriage. Once we find our contentment and singleness, we can still come before the Lord and say, man, I have this desire. I have these passions. I'm hoping to have a family someday. And this was the questions that they were asking him. And especially they were talking about their sexual desires, not just limited to the sexual desires, but just the overall desire of being married. And when they wrote to him, before I read this, I want to clarify what's happening here because I've mentioned this before. They're asking this specific question. And what is it they're asking is, as Matthew talked about last week, they came from this society where it was very sexual, very immoral. And they were just being with anybody that they could be without any boundaries, Now they become Christians and they're like, you know what? Gosh, maybe we should just put away all these desires and all these passions. Maybe we should just try the rest of our lives to get all this sexuality out of our lives. Because sometimes when you're responding to God, you pendulum swing too far to the other side. And they're like, wow, all this this sexual stuff, it's bad. And Paul's saying, no, not, not exactly. No, you're still off in your perspective. And he says this in verse one, now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So he's affirming their question. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relationships with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. And Paul is bringing back the pendulum swing here and saying, okay, yes, that's good. You're putting aside this sexuality in your life and this immorality in your life because you were going that the ways of the world to such an extreme. And as you're trying to live this righteous life, you're going too far. And you're saying, no, all this sexual desire is bad. And he's saying, no, that is not the case. Actually, God has given sexuality as a gift, as a beautiful gift in the context of marriage between a man and a woman. And he says, no, enjoy this sexual relationship with your own wife and let the woman enjoy this with her own husband. That's the beauty and that is the design of this. He goes on to verse seven and says this, I've already read this to you, but I want to reemphasize and, and pull out a point. I wish that all of you were as I am. As he said, I'm single. I wish that that was for you too. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has the gift of singleness, another a gift to be in a family. So he's affirming that we don't have to pendulum swing between these two, but just identify the gift that God has put in you. Maybe some of you are hearing like, man, I'm, I'm blessed. I love to have the gift of singleness and I don't have to feel like there's something wrong with me because that's a gift from God. That's a special, precious thing. And then others are like, no, I have these desires. I have these passions. I have these longings for a family. And God is saying that is a gift too. You may enjoy that. He wants you to enjoy that in the family unit. Sometimes when we think about pleasure and we think about uh, the good things of, of God, they get twisted in the world. 
Oh, God doesn't want me to have fun. He doesn't want me to have any pleasures. He doesn't want me to enjoy these things. And, and we realize that, no, God has given us these good things and these pleasures, but the world turns them into something dirty or turns them into something gross. And the enemy whispers of like, well, no, just enjoy these pleasures how you want to, apart from what God has set for you. St. Thomas Aquinas says this, quote, the husband and wife should cherish their procreative union to be able to have children as God, as good in itself, not just as a tool for pleasure, but because their union is good in itself, it is also pleasurable for pleasure is the peaceful resting place of the soul in what is good. And what Thomas Aquinas is saying here is that we should cherish this gift. Yes, we can be uh, procreative. We can have a family. We can have children, and that is a blessing. We can adopt children, and that is a huge blessing. We can build this family in the way that God intended, and that is a pleasure. And one of the benefits of that is this physical intimacy that we get to have in our marriages that is enjoyable, and it's even more enjoyable. Why? Because God calls it good. Because God says it's righteous. And many people in the world are, are twisted in that, where they think, no, the, the sin is fun. To rebel against God, that's what's really pleasurable. But if you really hash this out through a lifetime, and you talk to people that love the Lord and have a great marriage, you will find that the opposite is true. Let's go on to the third point and the third part of the scripture. Marriage is a beautiful picture of the mutual sacrifice and intimacy in marriage. Marriage is a beautiful picture of sacrifice and intimacy. Many years ago, we were in the kitchen, and I don't remember what scenario we were going through in life with my wife, Mary Lynn, and I said, hey, I was probably teaching on marriage or something, and I said, hey, I'm not going to answer this first. You think of a word that describes marriage, okay? Just, just ponder that. Take your time. You know, think through it, and I'd already thought through it and processed it, and I came up with my word, and after a little bit of time, she said, I have my word, and I was like, okay. Let's, let's both say what our words are. And they began with an S, both of them. And I will tell you, it was not sex, was not the word, okay? We both had the same word, and she said, sacrifice. And I said, that was my word too, sacrifice. Now, that might sound like a dungeon or something to some, where we 100% serve one another, that I want to get her back in all situations, and she wants to get my back in all situations, and how that brings intimacy. And that's what Paul is talking about here. We're going to read something that was super countercultural 2,000 years ago, but listen to this in verses 3 and 4. The husband, he's, he's instructing them, you know, they're, they're pendulum swinging. He's like, no, this is what marriage is. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. And likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, catch this, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. 
That's extremely cultural today and 2,000 years ago. Paul is saying, you're not still thinking about physical intimacy quite yet, but let me instruct you. When you join this union, you stand up in front of your family, friends, and God, and you say, I do, and I give myself to you in, in riches and poor, sickness and in health, in all times and all trials, whatever. You are offering up yourself, yielding yourself to this person completely. And then that person says the same vows and they offer up themselves to you. And after you make that vow, the man cannot just, just rule over his wife and oh, you're going to do what I tell you to do. And we think of sometimes these unhealthy relationships where I'm not going to let a man tell me what to do because I've been in these abusive situations where they take other scriptures and they say, no, you're going to do what I tell you to do. And it's this really unhealthy, inappropriate kind of relationship because he's, he's ruling over her. But this passage says, no, that's not what it's all about in, in, the, in the same way the wife owns the man's body when they make this commitment. And it's not about ruling over the other person or taking advantage of the other person. It's this beautiful, beautiful moment of intimacy. You know, we do a lot of H2O weddings, as you can imagine, uh, having all these college students around. And we've done so much uh, premarital counseling and, and, and postmarital counseling. And all of us pastors and, and pastors in training, like we use the same script a lot to do these weddings. And our staff would joke like, gosh, I go to these weddings and they all kind of just sound the same. Well, they are the same because we kind of share the script. We kind of share some of the same jokes and hope to get some laughs during the wedding. They're usually pretty funny. Um, but we always say this thing about how marriage is a picture of a greater intimacy between God and us. And maybe you've heard that at these weddings. Like, yeah, it's awesome. The, the man and the woman come together and the Bible says the two shall become one flesh. And, and they're emotionally, spiritually, you know, all this amazing depth of intimacy. It's so great and it's wonderful, but it pales in comparison to the intimate relationship that God wants to have with you. It's a picture of that. And we hope that you hear that every Sunday through our conversations, our preaching, and our songs, that God wants a deep relationship with you. He died on the cross to remove those obstacles, to remove that sin, so that you could be, in some ways, married to God. The Bible actually describes the church, the capital C church, as the bride of Christ to kind of illustrate this picture of closeness and togetherness. So while you might be eager to be married to you young people, keep a high bar regarding who you choose. Because when you're talking about this kind of oneness, you're offering up your body to this other person and they're offering up your, uh, their body to you, you should have a very high standard. And I know talking to young people, maybe you're sitting here in this situation and you think, gosh, I'd, I'd rather be married to the wrong person than to never get married. And you're tempted to lower your standards 
because you think, gosh, I don't want to be alone. I mean, it seems like everybody's got a boyfriend and a girlfriend. I'm in my 20s now, and I went to six weddings this summer, and it's getting kind of old, and I'd sure love it to be my turn. Man, maybe I should just lower the bar a little bit. Man, I beg of you, don't. Raise the bar. Raise the bar and, and get your checklist before God and go on a prayer walk and say, God, answer this prayer. I might be making a 50-year commitment to someone. I'm signing a 50-year lease. You want to live in this apartment? Okay, it's not a one-year lease. It's a 50-year lease. Do you still want it? Oh, boy, gosh, I got to really think about this. There's stains on the carpet, and, uh, and I don't love the kitchen. And you start thinking a little bit more. Uh, you start to scrutinize a little more. And here's a tool that we use when we're talking to dating couples or engaged couples or even people that have been married for a while. It's a tool we use called Prepare Enrich. And it goes through these nine different topics that we help people before they're married and people that have been married. Marilyn and I have gone through this, this training or this thing ourselves. The prepare means like you're preparing for marriage. So it's a good thing to think about before you get married. The enrichment is after you get married, you come back and you revisit these nine areas and say, how are we doing in our communication? Like, are we talking to each other well? Um, how are we doing with conflict resolution? You know, if you don't handle conflict well when you're single, you might bring that into your marriage also. So that's something you want to think about and work on now. In-laws. In-laws is one of the leading causes of divorce in our country, believe it or not. Statistics show. Leisure activities. What do you do for fun? What kind of roles do you have in relationship? What are your sexual expectations? Your finances, your styles and habit. And look at that bottom one. That's, that's the most important, even though it's on the bottom. What kind of spiritual beliefs do you want this person to have? They should be a Christian. They should be somebody that loves Jesus like you love Jesus. Because if you've got this intimate relationship with God and you're saying, I love God with all of my heart and I want to make decisions based on the Bible and this person doesn't, imagine the conflict and imagine the problems that will come into your relationship in the years to come uh, between the two of you and as you raise your children. Have a high bar. And the last point is this and number four, the marriage relationship is a spiritual team devoted to prayer to combat the enemy. If you're married here today and you're having some marital problems, if there's some things in your marriage that like you, you really feel like God would like to improve on your marriage. Maybe your marriage is an eight out of 10 right now. Man, praise the Lord. That's awesome. What can God do to bring that to a nine? And maybe you're sitting here today and you're even dreading this teaching and you're like, man, my marriage is like a two. We are, we are roommates. We are inmates. <laughs> but we're not soulmates. Okay, <laughs> it's funny till you counsel those people and it's hard. <laughs> but maybe you're feeling like a roommate or an inmate. God has hope for you. If you could take that marriage from a two and by God's grace, make it a three. That's what God wants. And then maybe the next year he makes it a four. 
And as you keep building intimacy and you keep crying out to God and it becomes a five and a six, who knows what God can do in any of our marriages as we devote ourselves to God. And the enemy wants to separate us. The enemy wants to divide our relationships. And here's what Paul says to the Corinthian people in verse 5. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, Paul says, let's, let's break this apart a little bit. First of all, couples could be tempted to deprive one another. Deprive one another of sex. Deprive one another of emotional closeness. Deprive each other of, of money. Deprive each other of anything else that they vowed to not do because they're hurt or they want to punish that other person. And in this situation, he's, he's telling them like, gosh, maybe some of these people were married, as, as Pastor Matthew said last week. And they're like, maybe we shouldn't even be married. Maybe we shouldn't even have sex. This whole area is so bad. He said, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Don't deprive each other in any way unless for a certain period of time, a short period of time, you're going to just fast from each other, fast from different areas, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer because God's the most important thing in your relationship. Then come together again as a team. Why? So that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. There is an enemy. Satan is real. And the devil wants to divide our marriages. He wants to divide our relationships. For you single people here, this verse can apply in, in a different principle because it's teaching us not to deprive one another of the love that God commands us to have. And when we're angry and we want to run away or we're hurt and we want to yell or we want to injure back, that's what we're doing here. We're depriving each other of love and forgiveness and intimacy. And this is something we can work on as a single person. It's something that we can work on in our marriages and in all of our relationships because we're aware. Our spiritual senses are up that the enemy is coming and he's trying to divide us. He's trying us to harbor hurt. He's trying to, to uh, silence us so that we don't resolve conflict. So as we pray, I ask you for these four practical things this week. This week, ask God these four things. Am I content in my present state? If you're single, are you content? If you're married, are you content? Wrestle with that with God. Number two, am I devoted to prayer? doesn't matter if we're single or married. We should be devoted to prayer with our teammates, our other Christian brothers and sisters, with our spouse. Are you, are you married people in a place where you're holding hands and praying? That is such a litmus test for us in our marriage. A litmus test of how close are we? How intimate are we? Are we drifting? But can I actually take the hand of my spouse and pray? And not just say, God, 
would you change her, you know? God, make her see the errors of her ways. No, not that kind of prayer. A humble prayer, praying for each other as a team. Number three, am I depriving anyone of my love to punish them? That creeps into every one of our lives. Let's get honest with God and say, is there anybody in my, my life, especially my spouse, that I'm depriving something because I'm upset with them? Let God bring you back together. And fourthly, do I seek godly intimacy in my relationships? If you're single, you can have some intimacy, but in a godly way. If you're married, you should still seek godly intimacy in your relationships. I hope those four questions stir some great conversation for you between God this week and in your relationships. Let's pray for that.